Good evening and welcome to Bible class. Uh, if you are watching this uh, after it has been recorded, uh, please please be patient for everybody else to join us or as always, just skip ahead about four minutes and then you'll be to the start of class. Thank you. Good evening to those who are out there and joining us. Um, let us know who's here and we'll... We'll get underway. Joe and Marlene, first ones in tonight. Good evening. How you doing? Ron and Joan are here. What a beautiful night. Beautiful night. Hi, Linda. Good evening. <clears throat> sure, I'm glad your new computer's working well. Glad you're with us tonight. Glad to hear you're doing well. Kind of wish I hadn't driven over here. I'd, I'd like to walk home tonight. What a beautiful night it is. Pat, good evening. Hi. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good group already showing up here. Um, it is 6.30. We're going to wait about three or four minutes before we continue. While we wait, if anybody has a request for an Old Testament book uh, for us to tackle next, uh, please let me know. Jane and Jean are there. I'm guessing that means Glenn is at the ball game tonight. I was working at the Brewer game last night and had, had some fun with our crew from Pilgrim uh, doing concessions to help out the school. It was a fun night. Um, good to be working with the people I had there, we had there. Who else is out there tonight? Looks like we have more people logging in. It is 631, a couple minutes yet here before we get going. Good evening, Joel. Welcome. Glad you're with us tonight. Judy, good evening. Pam, good evening. Welcome to both of you as well. Marlene says, how about Proverbs? I'm asking for suggestions on our Old Testament book. That'll be next. Marlene says, Proverbs, certainly that would be a good one. I provide a lot of good discussion. Um, any other votes or suggestions, let me know. Um, if we get a couple, maybe we can vote as a group before we sign off tonight. Hi, Marge. Good evening. Welcome. Glad you're with us tonight. We're going to give it two more minutes here before we start. Uh, two more minutes for everybody to, to find us. Hope everybody's having a good week. Beautiful, beautiful night, beautiful week so far. Summer is quickly sliding away. Not too much summer left. Hi, Melissa. Good evening. Glad you're with us tonight. <laughs> That's all right, Jane. It's uh it's a good night to be at the ballpark. I, I don't begrudge him that. Uh, but you can let him know he was missed tonight. So tonight we're going to pick it up. We've got Luke 22 to 24. First of all, I'm realizing that is probably a little ambitious for all the material found in these chapters. So um We'll see. If we get through it all, great. Uh, we'll go to a new book next week. If it turns out we need two weeks to do this, that's okay, too. We'll just see what your questions and the discussion are. Um, all right. So Luke 22, let's begin. I'll start with a prayer, and then we'll go. Dear Lord Jesus, as we again take a look at all that you went through for us, help us to appreciate your grace and your love and your blessings for us. Uh, help us tonight, Lord, to grow in our faith, to better understand all that you have done. We pray in your holy name. Amen. All right, Luke 22. So we 
we had followed Jesus last time into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We saw some of his teaching take place during the week. And now verse 20, or chapter 22, things are going to escalate quickly here. Um, first question says, why did Judas betray Jesus and whose fault was it? It doesn't appear that, oh, there, I was just going to say, no, Phil, and there he is. He's like Batman. I probably said that last time too. Um, he showed up when we when we needed him. Phil, good evening. Um, so Phil enters the question there. Um, so, <laughs> so Judy says that Satan entered Judas because he was weak in his faith. And Ron and Joan, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, perhaps not, said the devil made him do it. Um, so it says in the text that Satan entered Judas and Judy uh, gives you the why um, he was weak in his faith. Yeah, I, I think, um, so whose fault was it? I, certainly we'd give the blame here to Judas. Um, Satan is, is at his, 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 I don't want to say his best here, his worst um, in what he does. But, but Judas, Judas let him in there too, right? And uh, he appears to have given up his faith and that allows sin to rule in his heart. That allows Satan to have his way. Um, so certainly the devil is doing his thing, but Judas gets a, a, a fair share of the blame here. Um, Joanne, good evening. Uh, no, no problem. We, we just got the first question in here talking about Judas and the betrayal. Um, any quick thoughts about Judas? Otherwise we're going to, we're moving ahead uh, to the last supper. Um, no problem, Joanne. Glad you're here. All right. So question two. Uh, so just maybe just to quickly close that up. Um, you and I, while Satan tempts us, we can't shift blame for our sins over to him. Um, we don't have to listen to him as, as people in Christ. We don't have to go with his temptations. Um, and, and Judas certainly, had he not thrown his faith away, he, he really could have said no, right? Um, Phil says he was never satisfied to be a disciple. It appeared money was a motive for him. Yeah, I think clearly there are other motivations going on for Judas. And um, this was not a, an automatic that he had to do it. Um, but he let Satan, he let Satan have his way. All right, next question here. Number two, Jesus replaced the Passover with another meal that Christians are to eat. Uh, what does this new meal celebrate and why does it go far beyond the Old Testament Passover? So in the next verses here, uh, starting at verse 7, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. While they are having the Passover meal, he institutes the Lord's Supper. So he is he is transitioning his people, um, Ron and Joan say here, into the Lord's Supper. Um, what are we celebrating in this Lord's Supper? We are receiving the body and blood of Jesus, as you say there. Um, what is this new meal celebrating? And why does it go beyond the Old Testament Passover? What a perfect night to do institute the Lord's Supper, to connect it to the Passover. But why does it go so far beyond the Passover? Any thoughts there? And again, um, so Jane says, we're celebrating Jesus' sacrifice for our salvation. Uh, one of my favorite additions in this new hymnal, I don't know if you've noticed it as well or not, but after we have the Lord's Supper, we speak some words. Um, I say as pastor, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, then you all say, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that addition to the order of service and... Um, and Jane's comment there, I think, highlights that. 
Um, so we are celebrating his death, his sacrifice for us. Judy says there, it is in remembrance of him, right? That's what Jesus says. Do this in remembrance of me, remembering his death for us. Um, and Joel, yeah, what a neat thing here, right? He's he's at the very Passover. He is fulfilling the Passover um, or about to fulfill the Passover for them. And I think finally too, so just to maybe tie this one off, why does it go so far beyond the Old Testament Passover? Um and, and maybe that's what Judy's getting at there, too. Um, the Passover really was a picture of, right? It, it was a picture of the future deliverance that Jesus would bring. And I think Joel's hinting at that with his comment as well. Um, the Lord's Supper actually gives it. It actually gives the forgiveness, the salvation. Um, the Passover was merely picturing it that was to come. Um so it looks like we're all tracking on that one. Jane's got that there too, gives us forgiveness. And really, um, you guys have all kind of answered number three. What are we receiving in when we commune? Um, I teach the catechism kids and the adult catechisms. Catechism, they're not kids, but the adult students in, in bioinformation class. I teach them that we receive four things when we receive. Receive we receive the bread and the wine, and we receive the body and blood of Jesus. Those four things are in communion with each other uh, in a way that we maybe can't necessarily fully explain. But as Judy said above, it's not symbolic. Jesus says, is, this is my body, this is my blood. We are receiving uh, in, with, and under the bread and the wine, we are receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. So that's what we receive. Now, spiritually, there are many blessings that God gives us in that. Uh, he gives us faith or, or strengthening of. Uh, he gives us peace. Uh, he gives us forgiveness, right? All those things. He connects us to each other. Um, he gives us uh, so many, so many spiritual blessings. Reminds us, gives us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come. So... That kind of covers number three. I didn't really give you a chance to ask, um, answer that. But as often happens around the dinner table with friends and family, uh, we get into arguments and discussions and debates. Um, almost appears they, they didn't necessarily um, fully understand what he was doing. Uh, question four says, what were the disciples arguing about and how did Jesus rebuke them? So if you look at verse 24, um, so after the supper, this dispute arises. Um, this is not a new dispute, by the way. They'd argued about this a bunch before. Um, and how does Jesus rebuke them? Linda, help Help me understand your comment there. Um, so Ron and Jones say there, and Marge says it too, they're arguing about which of them was the greatest. Um, this had been an issue throughout the ministry of Jesus. This is not the first time they'd had this, this, this argument. Um, and that ought to tell us too, they don't quite understand the kingdom, right? If they're arguing about that, they don't quite understand what Jesus is trying to do here. Um, so how did Jesus rebuke them? How did Jesus rebuke them? So Melissa says he flips their idea of power on its head. He tells them they're focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, so he, he talks about the kings of the Gentiles, right? And he says, you're really supposed to be the opposite of that, right? You're not supposed to be like they are. Um, it's not about being the greatest. It's about being who's, one who serves, being the one who serves. Um, that's a hard concept for any of us, and certainly for the disciples, that was a hard for a lesson they obviously hadn't learned yet, one they'd been taught before. Um, 
you and I struggle with that too. That's always going to be a struggle for that. Um, Oh, Linda, thank yeah, thank you. I didn't quite catch. Um, yeah, so they kind of were leaving that for him, right? And now Jesus, of course, has fulfilled that. Um, Jane says, "What do you think they meant? Great, greatest witness for him?" Um, yeah, um, that's a good question. Greatest disciple, yeah, greatest helper. I don't know if necessarily it has to just be witness. Um, but which of them was the best servant, right? Which one of them was the best disciple? Which of them was the best helper for Jesus? Um, I, I think it, because this argument shows up so many times, Jane, I think finally it could be, it probably shifted from time to time, right? Who was the best this or that? I don't know if it necessarily had to be limited to witness. Phil, I, yeah, I wonder about that too. And then um, he had to be frustrated, right? And, and that's the difference, though, between Jesus and you and I. Um, he probably would he have rolled his eyes. I mean, you and I would have. We would have sighed. We would have let our frustrations show. Um, Jesus, of course, handled it perfectly. I yeah. So I wonder how did that how did that go. Um, had to be frustrating or tempted to be frustrated. All right. Um, well, Joe and Marlene, I, I don't know. Um, maybe, but I think, you know, think of if you had siblings growing up, I think it's the same kind of deal, right? I mean, I think of my brothers and I in the driveway when it was time to play basketball. Um, it, it was trying to figure out who's the best, right? Um, you think of any kind of rivalry. That, that's what this is. I don't, I don't think this is necessarily as much as the favorite as it is which of them is doing the best job. Um, Judy says they will sit on thrones in heaven, whether it be higher levels in heaven for, say, pastors. I, I I don't think so, Judy. Um, it does talk about twelve seats and or twelve chairs. I, I think at times that is hinted at the disciples are going to get those positions. Um, I don't see any anything that would tell me there will be higher levels um, for for pastors or people who have served. Um, I don't know. I, I I probably I probably need to do some look in there before I give you an answer. Um, when the Bible describes heaven, it talks about gathered around the throne. It talks about Christ at the center. Um, I, I I don't know. I think of passages that better to be a doorman in the house of my God. I. Um, I don't know that we're going to be concerned about higher levels. Um, I do think we're all going to walk around and say, ooh, <laughs> there's the Apostle Paul, right? Um, I think so. So for some of those guys, maybe there is a, a certain level of recognition. But um, so much of Scripture's response or, or description of heaven talks about Christ, right? Talks about the Lamb, talks about the focus on him. I, uh, that's probably, I'll do some more thinking on that one, Judy, and maybe get back to you a, a better answer than that. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly Phil, it's a teaching opportunity for Jesus. Um, absolutely, Joel, his level of patience had to be just amazing. Um, so I think in the end here, there are it's just it's rivalry. It's who's the best, and I think at any moment they're having the argument. I think that the topic of what they're best at probably is different. Um, there, there's some strong personalities in that group, right? And and they all think they are serving Jesus the best way. Um, all right, let's go on here. Five. What did Peter believe about himself? 
And how did Jesus rebuke them? What were the disciples? I'm sorry. What did Peter believe about himself and what warning did Jesus give him? So Jesus initiates the conversation in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So Jesus knows what's coming. He's prays for, he prays for Simon. Um, what did Peter believe about himself? And this is, every time I read this, um, man, I, I just, it's humbling because um, I know I'd have, I feel like I'd have, done exactly what Simon did here. Um, so Melissa says he was ready to go with Jesus to death and prison. Judy says it too. Jane says it too. Marge too, right? He's just, um, he is ready to go. He believes he is strong enough to die for Jesus. Um, he believes he's going to be that guy. He's going to be there with him. Um, Peter says, or, or Phil says he uses Peter's name twice here. Um, so, yeah, Jesus wants to get his attention, right? Um, he wants him to listen. Um, he thought he could withstand the temptation, right, as Ron and Jones say. Um, and Linda, I think Linda's comment is a good one here. He believed he was stronger than he actually was. He'll learn this lesson, right, eventually, but we're only as strong as the object of our faith. And if our faith is me, if my faith is my own strength, I'm in all kinds of trouble. And that's what Peter was doing. He was so convinced that he was going to be fine. He was strong enough. And Jesus and Joel's got the other part of the question here. Jesus knows what's coming. Um he knows he's going to deny, right? And so he is, uh, he's warning him about what is going to come. Um, he says, that very night, Peter, three times you're going to deny. Um, but you're right. And I, I like the way Joel says that too. He was more concerned about Peter. He says, when you've turned back. So Jesus knows how this is going to go, right? And he's still um, concerned about Peter. Not so concerned that, he's going to be the one who is denied. Don't misunderstand that, right? Jesus, it's still sin. Um, but Jesus' concern is for Peter's soul here. Melissa says, I think they're probably ready to fight. Um, yeah, one of them's going to cut the ear off, right? Um, they're ready to go down in a blaze of glory. Yeah, they are, right? And John Bon Jovi's song is playing in the background, right, as this is happening. Um but they can't imagine the life that Jesus is going to ask of them, as Melissa says. Um, and again, part of this, they're still, they're Israelites. They've got this idea of um, taking on the Romans, earthly kind of kingdom, right? They, they've, that's on their mind here too. Um, yeah, Phil, I agree, right? Um, and I think... We got a lot of folks at Pilgrim that say that, right? I'm praying for you. Um, and then to have Jesus say it to you. And, but it appears that in the moment that's lost on Peter, right? In the moment it appears he's he's focused on what he's about to do. Um, good, good discussion there. So jumping ahead a little bit here, why did Peter deny Jesus? So we're going to 54. Um, verse 54 and following. Um, why does he deny and then why does he weep afterward? Um, Judas is going to weep as well. Their weeping is different though. So why does Peter deny Jesus? Why did he weep afterward? Um, for the why, I think Ron and Joan have our answer there. Peter was afraid of what might happen to him, right? He was he thought he might be arrested too, they say. Um, fear. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, right? Was this minutes or hours 
after he said, I will, I'll die with you, all right? He, he's so ready to, ready to fight. And then he melts. He melts. Um, he's afraid. He's surrounded. The Lord was bound. Um, apparently, Jesus is helpless. Apparently, right? He, he, there's, it just, all his confidence is gone. Um, so he was afraid. So Linda says these are tears of sorrow. Um, Jane says he's weeping at his own weakness. Marge says it's shame and guilt. Um, I think it's all of that for sure. Um, I think it is a regret. Um, I think it's regret. I think it's guilt. I think it's um, he can't believe he did what he did. All of that. Um, as a lot of you are saying there, uh, Joel says, Peter is to Abel as Judas is to Cain. Uh, that's an apt comparison. I would agree. Yeah. One has faith. One does not. So they're weeping. Um, so Judas is weeping the tears of despair. Uh, Peter is weeping the tears of, of sorrow and repentance. Um, Ron and Joan say that there he was repentant, right? He knows he's failed. Um, Melissa says he regrets it. Um, so Judy said he remembers Jesus' words. Um, so there's some contrition there, right? And he he understands now he misplaced his confidence. Um, Phil says Jesus knows all. Um and, and Peter, right, probably never forgot the look that Jesus gave him in that moment. Yeah, that's probably the image in his mind as he's weeping too. Um, yeah, Pam, he, he simply, he let Jesus down, right? He let Jesus down. And that's a terrible feeling. And, and how often, by the way, um, don't we let Jesus down when we're focused on ourselves? When we're focused on our actions, our faith, our strength, what we're going to do. But if we're, our eyes are on him, it, it goes a different direction, right? Um, all right. Good stuff, everybody. Um, number seven. So just talking about their willingness to fight here. Um, number seven. <laughs> That's the, the song I had in mind there, Phil. Um, number seven, has the church ever tried to win the kingdom through the power of the sword? Yes, I think we all know that. It has not worked so well. Um, but how about the second part of the question? How, how do Jesus' actions in the garden instruct us in how we should work in his kingdom? How did Jesus' actions in the garden instruct us on how we should work in God's kingdom? The sword doesn't extend the kingdom, at least not spiritually. Maybe extends the borders a little bit territorially. But how does Jesus' actions in the garden show how we should work in the kingdom? So Ron and Jones say, love for all, even enemies. Yeah, you see Jesus um, put away the sword and he talks about, um, he he reattaches the ear, right? He heals the, the servant. Joe and Marlene say, with love and peace, with love and peace. Finally, it's, it's with the word, right? It, it's Jesus. Jesus doesn't use the sword. He simply speaks. Um, let our words and our love, as, as Phil says there, let them win the day. Gentleness and humbleness, according to Jane. Yep, good. That's a fast look at chapter 22. Anybody have anything else? You want to ask about chapter 22 before we move on here. Melissa says a lot of times we try to extend the kingdom through law. 
Yeah, that's a good thought, Melissa. You can get people to do all kinds of things when you make a law, um, but that doesn't make them Christians. And, and I think there are certain branches of Christianity today that think if we make all the right laws as a nation, that that means people will serve the Lord. That's no different than the sword, as Melissa points out there. Um, I cannot legislate you into faith. So if we work hard and get all the right people in the government and make all the Christian laws we want to make, that doesn't convert anybody. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't run for government, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, we can't have laws that are Christian. But that's not going to bring anybody to faith. The gospel is what brings people to faith. Um, and so if our goal as a church um, is to make laws that are God-pleasing, that, that's not the goal God gave us. God's goal was to make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching. Um, that's our focus as a church, right? So I, I think um, we just need to be a little bit clear about that. And again, don't misunderstand. Godly people should be active in their governments. God, I think, as this calls us to be godly citizens, Christian citizens. Um, but that's not the goal of the church, right? The church, the kingdom only grows through the gospel. So thank you for that, Melissa. Anybody else? Questions or comments on chapter 22? I have a suspicion we aren't going to get all of this in tonight, and that's just fine. Um, there's a lot of stuff here. Um, Joe says, Catholic or papal doctrine, let all other religions be damned, not gospel-centric. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, um, I wonder how many people, and it's not just Catholics. I, I think most religions don't, I'm going to be careful how I say this, a lot of people who practice a lot of religions or denominations within their religion don't know what all of the doctrines of their religion are. Um, but to claim or proclaim that any other outside of your denomination can't be saved, that, that sure isn't gospel-centric. Um, so I um, hope that was clear there, Joel. Um, Melissa, yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, Judy says... Her Bible study says Judas never displayed strong commitment to Jesus. What is that based on? Uh, where does it say that? Is it a note in your study Bible? Um, I Yeah, that is. Actually, I read that today too. Um, I think that is simply based on the Gospels. When you read through the Gospels, um, most disciples are mentioned in some kind of a way as living or practicing their faith. You think of Andrew finding Philip, uh, uh, or, and you think of the disciples finding each other. You think of uh, Peter, James, and John, right? They're always obviously there in practicing their faith. Even the questions that are asked, you think of Thomas. Um, there's so many of the disciples, at least in some way, share an example of faith. We don't have any of that from Judas. Um, so I think, Judy, that's why that study Bible says that. Um, it just does, he's just not seen. I don't, I don't think we have any example that I remember in the Gospels of him demonstrating faith. So that would be my guess as to why that comment is there. So, yeah, I mean, letting context in a sense there guide the thought. All right, uh, let's see. Phil says, amazing in the chaos. Jesus heals the hearing ear despite the impending stress situation. Yeah, he's always looking out for others. Um, uh, Linda, Jesus was baptized, actually. Um, the thief on the cross was not, but Jesus was. Um, But you are correct. Um, so remember, there are two things that save, right? There are the word saves, baptism saves, 
Um, sometimes you get one without the other. All right, let's move into our next section here. Uh, the end of 22 and into 23. Um, Jesus remained strangely quiet throughout his trials. He answered only two questions. What question did he answer for the Jewish leaders? And what question did he answer for Pilate? Interesting to watch Jesus through these proceedings. Um, and it's hard to picture, but I mean, everybody's shouting, I'm sure, and screaming, and everybody wants to talk. And Jesus just sits there patiently, quietly. Um, what, what question did he answer of the Jewish leaders, and what question did he answer for Pilate? Joel says, perhaps Jesus' selection of Judas as a disciple is a silver lining. Um, yeah, so I think, Joel, that is a... Yes. So if we look at his followers, and we can even see there that not everybody accepted the gospel, that even, even there somebody rejected it, that, that helps us, I think, be realistic in, in the work that we carry out as a church. Um, I think it reminds us um, that, that God's grace is there, but that doesn't mean everybody wants that grace. Um, so yeah, and, and I think he was getting to the cross, however it happened. Um, Judas certainly played that role. Um, but had Judas not done what he did, Jesus was still going to get to that cross somehow. Um, so Melissa says, for the Jews, he answered, you are the son of God. And for Pilate, he answered, you are the king of the Jews. Yeah, um, those are the right ones, Melissa. Why did he, why did he only answer those two? Um and Phil says he didn't, doesn't even really elaborate on it. He just says, yep, I, I'm it. I'm that guy. Why are those the two questions, the only two that he that he deals with? Why doesn't he answer all the other things? And, and certainly we're told in the Gospels that false accusations came forward. Why doesn't he answer any of those questions? Why does he pick these two? Um, why does, are those the two that he answers? Yep, Linda's got the the response to Pilate. Yeah, he doesn't even, he just kind of agrees to it. He doesn't even really say, elaborate. Um, so Melissa's got it there. He answered him truth. Like he, he could speak the truth with those questions. Uh, and then those are the questions that get him killed. Um, those are the two questions that would guarantee he gets to the cross. Right? He doesn't want to get bogged down in all the other ridiculousness. Those are the two questions that get him to the cross, so he answers them. And those are the two questions that allow him to speak to the truth, to highlight the truth, to, to really say that that's what this is about. I am who I am, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. Right? He, he highlights the truth here. Um, so Jane's got a question about Judas. He was sorry, wasn't he? But he didn't repent. So there are two kinds of sorrow, Jane. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Um, he did not repent, right? There was no repentance or faith in his heart. Um, he felt bad there about what he did, but there was no faith that turned to Christ for forgiveness. And you're right, Marlene and Joey, it shows exactly, they know who, they know what he's saying. There was never a debate about who Jesus said he was. His enemies clearly know who he's claiming to be. The Pharisees were not confused about who Jesus said he was. They didn't believe what he said, but they knew exactly what he said. Uh, and they just didn't, they didn't like it. Um, and that's a good point to Ron and Joan, right? He's not trying to give them the time of day, right? If they're mocking him or, or, or making fun of him, it, he's not going to play that game. Um, 
Linda says she doesn't know if Pilate ever knew the underlying motive. I, I mean, I think he knows clearly the leaders don't like him. Um, I don't know that Pilate understands or necessarily cares to understand the, the religious aspect of this, the spiritual aspect of this. I think he sees it as a, it's a, it's a, a Jewish issue, a religious issue that doesn't apply to him. Um, I think he's, he, I think he knows they don't like him and, and that's probably the extent of it. We'll never know. Well, when we get to heaven, we'll know. Um, if, if Pilate came around or not, I, I don't, biblically, I don't know that we see any evidence of it, but who knows? Um, all right. Number two, how might Jesus have used the trip to Herod to escape his trial before Pilate? You ever think about that? Um, number two, how might Jesus have used the trip to Herod to escape his trial before Pilate? Yeah, Jane, there's just different translations. Um, neither are wrong there. Um, I'd have to go back and, and look at the Greek. Um, some of them also would say, it is as you say. Um, it's just different ways to handle a phrase in English. So Judy says, Herod was interested in him, but worried about his power. Wanted to be entertained by a miracle. Jesus could have done a miracle. Yeah, just to play that out a little bit. Um, if he if he does the miracle, if he gives Herod the show that he wants, what does Herod do? Herod then maybe tries to defend Jesus, right? Maybe tries to keep Jesus around. If Judas plays Herod's game, he could maybe get a way out here. And I, I the reason I asked the question is because I think there's temptations here for Jesus that, that maybe we didn't even have on our radar, maybe weren't even thinking about. If if he goes to Herod um, and tries to do the old song and dance, um, he can maybe get out of this, right? And, and so maybe the devil's whispering in his ear here, hey, this is your chance, right? This is your chance. All right, let's go to number three thinking more about how Jesus handles this. So we're really looking at the first 24, 25 verses of the chapter with this question. Um, think of how condemned criminals react to accusations and sentences. Why are Jesus' trials such a comfort to us? So first of all, Think of that condemned criminal. How is he going to react to these accusations? And how does Jesus' reaction, his different reaction, how is that such a comfort for you? So Phil had a quick thought there about Herod. Um, yeah, Herod is like looking for, what can you do for me, Jesus? Um, and... Yeah, he quickly loses interest, right? When Jesus isn't going to play along, Herod quickly loses interest. So, so Herod, like Pilate, doesn't really care about the spiritual ramifications of what's happening. Um, they are focused on themselves and, and how this impacts them. So question number three here, Phil's got it posted. How does a, an accused or a condemned criminal, how do they react to accusations and sentences? How do they react? So Judy says criminals deny. Yeah, they, they deny the charge, right? Deny, deny, deny. Um, not guilty is the plea. Um, but Jesus, of course, is willing. He doesn't try to get out of it, right? He wants to be sacrificed. He wants to be crucified. Um, he's not trying to get out. Away. Phil says your excuses or talking, taking the way out of it or trying to talk your way out of it. Jesus isn't doing any of that. Um, 
Jane says he never denies the accusation that he is God's son, uh, which is to our comfort. Yeah, if Jesus denies this, we have doubts. Uh, if Jesus, um, oh, think what else do the, uh, the, the criminal, right? Countless appeals. If there's somebody on death row, how many appeals can they make? I don't know, but it's a lot, right? That can drag on for years, even decades. Um, Jesus doesn't seek an appeals process here, right? He doesn't seek to avoid the sentence that's coming down. Um, he wants to be crucified. He doesn't try to get out of it. Um, and as Jane says there, that is for our comfort. All right, anybody else to that one? And no apologies, Joe. There's a lot to talk about tonight, so no worries. Joe says back. Joel says backing up a bit. Might Jesus' statement to Pilate, "You have said so," be his omniscience? In other words, Pilate had mockingly said in past conversations that Jesus was the King of the Jews. Um, perhaps, and, uh, and didn't he say that? Um, so, so question or verse three, Pilate asks him, aren't you the king of the Jews? Um, I see what you're saying, Joel. So you're, you're saying, is Jesus referring to previous times when Pilate had, might have said that? Um, I, I think the Greek is more likely to say, you just said it, right? You just spoke it. Um, I could I could look back at that, but I I think the Greek there would probably probably point right back to that in that same verse there, Joel. Um, any other thoughts here before we move on? Marlene uh, comments that Jesus is innocent of any crime, but he doesn't say so. Yeah, he doesn't even <clears throat> he doesn't even say, "Hey, I'm innocent here." If anybody could ever have said um, not guilty, it's Jesus. Right? I think nowadays you're always encouraged to make a not guilty plea, even if you have a, a portion of guilty. Like even on your traffic ticket, you're told to go in there and say not guilty, right? Because then you can negotiate, right? You can say, uh, you know, he'll lower the, the points for you. Um, the only, if anybody ever could have said not guilty, and meant it. It was Jesus, but he doesn't. Um, as Jill said, or as as um, as Phil says, there Jesus says, "Bring it on, uh, death. This needs to happen for God's plan." Um, yeah, and I think that's the sense of it, there, Ron and Joan. I think that's the sense of it, and that's true too. Uh, According to the better laws, there are many innocent people are convicted. That happens. Um, and so Jesus can certainly emphasize, em, empathize with that. All right, number four, why did Jesus ask his father? So we get into the crucifixion now. So we're jumping down to verse 26. The soldiers lead him away. They take Simon and they make him carry the cross behind Jesus. Um, then they're crucified. Jesus with two other men. Um, they're mocking him. And verse 34, Jesus right off the bat says, Father, forgive them. Um, number four, why did Jesus ask his father to forgive them? And Melissa says, he was doing everything perfectly for us including those who love and hated him and harmed him. Yeah, if you guys, if you are in Jesus' spot and those soldiers are doing that to you, I'm guessing you're going to say some things, but, and I'll just, maybe instead of you, how about me? I'm guessing I'd say some things, but I don't think the first thing out of my mouth would have been, Father, forgive them. Right, I, I can't even imagine what it would have, but I know it wouldn't have been that. Um, so Melissa said he's doing perfectly um, what we could not. Judy says he's dying for them too. <laughs> Just think of that, right? The irony of that, he, he's dying 
for those sins that they're committing in that moment against him. It's just um, amazing to think about that. Joel, Joel can empathize. Yeah, I, of all the things I would say in that moment, um, I don't think uh, that was it. Nguyen says they didn't know who he really was. Um, one of them in the end, well, um, yeah, Ron and Joan, like praying for enemies, as we mentioned Sunday, and that would have been a good verse for me to, to reference, wouldn't it have been? Um, maybe I'll throw it in this Wednesday. Um, yeah, praying for our enemies. Yeah, who knows that soldier's story, right, Linda? Uh, who knows what his story was? Um, but he does hear Jesus pray for him, I assume. So who knows? Uh, let's see here. Uh, number five. How did the rulers mock Jesus? And what did they understand? We kind of touched on that a little. Um, how did the rulers mock Jesus and what did they understand already? Yeah, you're, I mean, the, yeah, the Roman soldier has to do what he's doing, Linda. He's he's carrying out orders. Um, he's got to do it or he's going to be he, – he knows. He knows what he has to do. And Jesus, I think, under, I know Jesus understands that too. So how do the rulers mock Jesus? Uh, Linda says, save yourself. Judy says, save yourself. Um, anybody else? Um, he saved others, let him save himself. So I, I think they understand, right? I, I think um, they know what he's saying about himself, right? They, they know that he claims to be the one who can save others. So they're throwing that back in his face now. Well, all along, you've said to be the Savior. Well, save yourself. Come on. It's that If it's that easy, go ahead and do it. Right? It's, and again, if I'm, on, if I'm in that place, every fiber of my being wants to prove it, right? wants to show them, wants to say, well, fine, here goes. Aha, I was right. Um, the restraint that Jesus shows here on the cross uh, is, is pretty amazing. Um, Amazing to see. Uh, number six, why did darkness fall on the earth? Consider the meaning of darkness. Yeah, Joel, he is who he says he is. They know it. They know what he was claiming. Um, and now they're in their unbelief or throwing it back at him. Um, just the gall of that. But And then the amazing for Jesus to just stay there and not and not let him have it. Six, why did darkness fall on the earth? Consider the meaning of darkness, right? In Scripture, um, in Scripture, well, he's not dead yet, Jane. Um, he's about to be dead, but he's not dead yet. Um, but you're, you're on track, right? He's the light of the world. He is about to be dead, but he's not dead yet for these three hours. Um He's, it's dark while he's hanging on the cross. Um, God is light. Darkness is the absence of that light. Judy has the thought here. Um, God is not there, right? Jesus, that's why Jesus is going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Melissa has the thought there too. This is separation from God. This, this is hell on the cross. This is God not there. This is God abandoning uh, his son. To his fate, um, and um, unnaturally dark in the middle of the afternoon. He's separated from the Father here. He's suffering hell itself. Yet, even in that number seven, and, and we're just pick up the pace to get the last two in here. Why did Jesus commit his spirit into his Father's hands? Joel, absolutely, 
Absolutely. Every nation, every person on earth would remember and ask about why was there darkness for those three hours um, in the middle of that Friday? That is a huge door for evangelizing. Um, I, there's so much that happens here that gives the apostles hooks to talk about it. It gives the Christians in that time um, a chance to, to discuss. You know, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, this was the buzz of the day, right? Like everybody was talking about these events. Huge opportunities for, for evangelism moving forward. Seven, why did Jesus commit his spirit? Melissa says he trusted. Still, he still trusted. Even in death, he's trusting. Um, I've been at I've been humbled and privileged to be at the deathbed of many of God's people. And the devil comes hard in those moments. He comes hard to, to make us question. Um and Jesus, even in those last moments, has trust in his Father. Uh, he is confident of his destination. And because he did this, you and I can be confident too. Um, Judy said he'd finished his Father's work. He knew where he was going, absolutely. He knew what was next for him, no doubt about it. Um, Linda says the curtain was torn in the temple, symbolic. Um, yes, no separation between God and man. That separation is gone. Now in Christ, we get to approach the Father for sure. One more question. We're going to leave chapter 24 for next week. Um, but, but question number eight here. What do you think it cost Joseph of Arimathea to provide Jesus with a decent burial? So you look at verse 50. A man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and an upright man um, had not consented to their decision. Um, he goes to Pilate. He asks for the body. He wraps it in linen cloth, places it in the tomb. Um, what did it cost him to do that? And what does that teach us? Well said there, Phil, before the question. Yeah, that. That's why he's the savior, right? Uh, so, so Phil has posted the question there. What does it cost him? And, and bravo, all, all of your, the first three there, none of you mentioned the money. I'm sure it cost a lot of money, but more, it's so much more. It's his place of honor, right? As Judy says, it's his position. Uh, Melissa points out, maybe even now he's an outcast from the community. Um, Prestige, Ron and Joan talk about um, just the what he is giving up here for his Savior, for Jesus. Um, what does that teach us? He's taken a stand. Um, it means his love for the Lord was greater than all these things he's giving up. Um, it just, just awesome. Awesome to see. Anybody else comment here on Joseph of Arimathea? Uh, Marlene, yes, the, that curtain tearing is, that's there's some finality to that, right? This old thing is done now. There's, there's no more separation, right? Time for the new. Um, So Ron and Joan say it, it reminds us or teaches us we must we may suffer loss for our beliefs. Absolutely. Um, Phil appreciates his service. Yep. Judy says we need to be courageous in our faith. Uh, and Joanne says perhaps he had a discussion with Nicodemus. Maybe. I think so. Uh, those two were in it together. Um, and finally, you know, this is what Jesus talked about, right? Uh, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, this There's a lot to admire here from, from Joseph of Arimathea. And finally, he's at the point, I think he, he doesn't care. He loves Jesus, and he's not going to let these other things uh, get in the way. Good stuff. That, that is probably not enough time for the content of those two chapters. Um, I don't know that we did that justice or not. I feel like the discussion was, was good. A lot of really good questions, but I know we covered a lot in probably too short of a time.
Um, so next week, we are going to just do chapter 24. So the road to Emmaus, uh, love that chapter. Um, we'll, we'll take a good solid look at that next week. And then um, next week, we are going to vote on the next book of the Bible that we study. So far, we have a nomination for the book of Proverbs. I am open to other nominations as well. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, we will vote on it next week. Again, so far in the running is only Proverbs. If anybody else wants to throw another Old Testament book out there, um, please do so now or sometime this week. Um, if I don't hear anything, then it's probably going to be Proverbs. Joel, I, I would second those comments. Thanks, everybody. Good stuff tonight. Um, and just so happy uh, to have faith. And yeah, let's if we can be Nicodemus and Joseph, that'd be that'd be awesome. And, and you, everybody, you, you are always welcome. And I'm just so grateful that we're keeping this going. Um, Phil's got the summary there. All right. Anybody else? And for those that watch this later on, uh, we're also glad that you are participating along with us as well. Um, that's it for tonight, everybody. Get out there. Enjoy that nice weather. Um, and we will see you guys next Tuesday night, same time, and we'll finish up the book of Luke. God bless.